Welcome, everyone, to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Today's theme is gratitude. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 203, This Deadly Secret, is brought to you by Grill Meatballs. When you don't know how to cook, what the hell? Pete, have to mention straight at the top here, this may be the best episode of the season thus far. Have to mention writer Tatiana Suarez-Pico and director Toa Frazier for giving us a solid story that's about characters interaction, interacting and uh, some great camera moves to, uh, to help sell it all. Definitely not an episode we could have seen coming with the announcement of the second season. Hey, Matt, can you imagine in season two of Iron Fist, Danny, Colleen, Davos, and Joy will all sit down to dinner? What? And, you know, as crazy as that sounds, and we're going to recap in a moment, then we're going to dig deep, but... Pete, many times the TV shows that we watch, they'll have their bottle episode, and that's because they needed to save money, so they do a thing where the elevator breaks down, or where it's only Captain Picard on the Enterprise, or something like that, where people just talk, 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 instead of action, action, action. That's also called quality character interaction. That's what we had a lot of in this episode. This did not smell of a money-saving move. This was characters talking about their feels with the other people who have feels, too. It didn't. It was earned and it was warranted. Time to step into the dojo and deconstruct this episode. Danny scrubs a tiger's blood from his clothes after he arrives home in the morning. He'll rest once the parlay goes down, but the Yangs are dragging their feet. Danny wants to use force to speed things up but Colleen counsels against it. Danny's barely been around since Matt Murdock told him to protect his city. Colleen wonders if Danny isn't doing this because Kunlun and the Hand are gone and the Iron Fist has no clearly defined role. Colleen changes the topic by telling Danny that Mary called looking for him yesterday and then hung up, not unlike this teaser act. At a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, Ward wants to know who told his sister he's in recovery. Bethany wants to talk about gratitude and uh, tells Ward to respect the meeting. Carlos tells him nobody knows his sister, but Ward comes with his patented double middle fingers and bounces. He calls Danny and heads to Colleen's apartment. Ward is worried The leak portends bad fortune for Rand. He tells Danny about running into Davos at the art auction. Ward proposes Danny invite everybody to dinner to talk it all out that night. Oh, and Danny can't tell Joy Ward is coming. As Colleen checks Frank Choi's abandoned furniture store yet again, uh, Danny calls to ask her if he can invite everyone over. She then breaks in the basement door and her buddy Bibi follows her in. He and his squad have squatted in Choi's place and gotten caught a couple of times. Colleen inexplicably knows to look under Choi's chair and finds cash and a ledger written in Chinese. 
Joy meets with Sophia Rios, who she's looking to partner with on her photovoltaic solar cell patent. Joy has a factory in New Jersey ready to start production within the week when Sophia says yes, and Joy knows she will. Davos arrives and compliments Joy's business acumen. She tells him about the dinner invite. Joy says they have to go and convince Danny they're his friends. Colleen doesn't know enough Chinese to read Choi's ledger, but Bibi thinks Choi will be a dead man soon enough because he's turned criminal informant. Bibi's squad knows everything after all. Colleen wants him to come to the center, but he leaves with Choi's cash. Returning home from buying groceries, Danny catches Mary from Wisconsin slipping an envelope under his door. He chases her onto the street and she warns him someone named Walker is watching him. He opens the envelope to find the pictures and Mary disappears. Danny shares the photos with Colleen and she thinks they should cancel dinner. He thinks it's just a Rand thing. As they prepare for dinner, Colleen asks if Danny asked Ward to bring dessert. He called and left a message, but tells Colleen she can't tell Joy Ward's coming as their guests arrive. Sitting in a car downstairs, Ward won't leave and has his driver bring him instead to N.A. As dinner goes down, the parties poke and prod at more than their food. Ultimately, Colleen comes out and demands they stop playing games. Davos excuses himself and finds the photos Mary gave Danny. Davos demands Joy leave, but not before Danny tells Joy he invited Ward. But Bethany has had her fill of Ward today. He felt robbed. He couldn't tell Joy about his recovery, and Bethany advises him if he can't repair the rift with his sister, Ward will never have another successful human relationship. Davos tells Joy about finding the photos, and they head to Walker. Mrs. Yang calls Danny and Colleen and asks them to meet. She tells them she's taking her husband's place at the negotiations table because he had to return to Hong Kong for a family emergency. She says she tried to stall, but the threat of violence is just too high. Danny and Colleen accompany Mrs. Yang to the meeting. She is ready to hand over the Red Hook docks in exchange for real estate in New Jersey. As the negotiations progress, Danny notices someone outside and urges Mrs. Yang to leave. Danny uses his fist to take out the tigers, and Mrs. Yang saves Colleen by stabbing a guy in the eye. Danny interrogates a tiger about who was outside but gets no answers. Mary, or rather Walker, is listening to white noise when Joy and Davos arrive. She tells them the situation is salvageable and asks them to leave before brandishing a pair of swords on Davos. Walker doesn't like threats. Sparring partners, let's take a look at who Danny faced off against in this episode. Pete, right off the bat, is Ward a villain for proposing that Danny is whipped by his uh, girlfriend and would otherwise seems to be a functioning and mutual and happy relationship. That was really uncalled for. I mean, it's plausible to believe that this show was written before the me too movement really uh, kicked 
into high gear sometime last fall. I mean, we could go back and, and find the exact dates that, you know, um, we had the, the charges, the, the long uh, whispered charges against Harvey Weinstein. And then you get into uh, Kevin Spacey and, and everything else. But it's one thing to write it on the page before something like that. And it's characterization with Ward as well. But wow, that was that was rough. And Danny kind of let him go. Well, I think it worked wonderfully as a character moment because it was so uh, inappropriate. Like it doesn't yeah. make me I'm not like, oh, Ward, that rascal. It's kind of like, dude, that was completely uncalled for. That was completely inappropriate, uh, particularly like you're the guy in N.A., no shame there. He's working to make himself yeah. a better person. But you're the guy who also goes to NA to have a completely inappropriate relationship with your sponsor. Uh, you're the guy who just can't seem to keep things locked down in his life. Meanwhile, you know, I mean, I guess, look, Danny's life is a little bit easier because he's got these billions that he can spend when he needs to. But Danny's working on making Danny better. Danny's working on making his relationship better. Yeah. Danny has a completely healthy equal relationship with Colleen and I'm not offended that they went there with Ward. In fact, if anything, it just reminds me, I'm interested to see how joy gets rehabilitated or not. And what is Davos's path uh, from righteousness along with, you know, stupping the art lady and all of that. And can the tigers figure everything out? And, and what's the deal with, uh, with typhoid Mary Ward, ah, you know what, if Ward has to take the bullet this season, I'm okay with that now too. Given what a great guy Tom Pelfrey seems to be and a Jersey shore product to boot. Um, I can't imagine having to deliver a line like that sits easy on the conscience of the actor. I mean, these are someone else's words that he's performing, but man, yeah, that, that really just kind of stuck out when it happened. It, it did. Uh, again, I just returned to this idea that it really, it really did work within the character and work with, uh, work with character mileage. Pete, a character that we get even more mileage out of in this episode is Joy in the in that wonderful extended scene, claustrophobic as it was, at least emotionally, with Joy and Davos and Danny and uh, and Colleen round the dinner table there. We know Joy is up to no good. We know she's playing both sides in a way that maybe the other three are not. Um, I guess that makes her a villain, but I want to learn more. I don't buy oh, I have to destroy Danny and Ward because they they lied to me that my father was alive. It it keeps coming back to that. I just don't feel it rings true. It does. It was interesting to watch, recalling that, you know, it was just a little over a year ago that the first season uh, uh, aired or hit Netflix, whatever the proper verb is, it streamed. Um, so... You know, with the distance between seasons not as far as, say, a Jessica Jones or a Luke Cage, it was a little bit more immediate just remembering the basics of that season compared to, uh, compared to let's say, Jessica Jones that did have this super, super long break between seasons. Um, so on the one hand, I'm certainly sympathetic to her pain, and I don't know to what degree Joy was acting for the benefit of those at the dinner, but certainly... Uh, 
certainly the performance was one that I, the, the performance was one that resonated with me because in the moment I believed her words and I believed the urgency. Now that that moment is passed, now that we're outside her, you know, her, her being Joy, not Jessica Straub, who's, you know, certainly a fine actress. Now that we're outside of Joy's kind of spin zone, do I completely still buy it? Uh, probably not. I mean, her father post-resurrection was a terrible person and probably from everything we've heard prior to that. Um, so they, the cancer seemed as far as the writing is concerned to be karmic payback. And then you bring in everything that the hands uh, restoration led to. You know, I recall the, the story that's told in that first season about um, a, a soldier from a village who's resurrected every time he goes to war and he comes back and he winds up roasting his children over a fire. I mean, that's the ultimate metaphor for what uh, Harold um, did to his children. Joy is probably better off. I mean, look what it led Ward to. Yet she's all mopey that she lost the time with bad dad back. I can understand her perspective, but I have to land on yours because you pointed out how, how um, physically and kind of mentally damaged word was from that whole process. I mean, what would joy be like had the roles been reversed? I, (laughs) I mean, probably a similar venue. I would like to, I'd like to think maybe she would have been stronger than her brother. Uh, but, but I mean, it was such a heavy weight. I don't know. And certainly such an extraordinary weight, you know, with the life forces and the, all of that from the first season. Um, but it's a good point. You know, is she better off? Is she kind of more battle hardened for this world? Uh, just simply having been without a father period, not having been, without a father that you can't talk about, but secretly he can, he can rely on good old Ward, except for when he can't. And that kind of emotional yo-yo back and forth. You're right. She's probably better off having lived all those years without her father. I mean, it's the grasses greener situation. And yes, she would have had more time with him, but you just think of the damage there that she dodged. And, you know, now she's hell bent on this vendetta and with Davos, We've seen now in the previous episode the result of uh, their fight to take on Xiao Lao, he and Danny. And um, there remains this honor within Davos, yet he's going about it the wrong way. And Mary's able to get the drop on him, or rather Walker, with a pair of swords under the table there. I don't know about old Davos. Actor Sasha Dawan is doing, I think, an extraordinary job with a character that is not, uh, I don't want to sound negative here, but the character is not being written to be a rainbow of emotions. Clearly, the character is meant to be stoic and meant to be, you know, kind of somewhat self-righteous and somewhat um, spiritually driven. And for him to nonetheless still find the anger in Davos, I think of the scene where he steps away from the dinner table uh, and goes into the bathroom for what mm-hmm. purpose 
to just take a time out. It's not it's yeah. not to use the facilities, nor is it that he's so angry that he's got to punch a wall or something like I that. Heard, uh, I heard his heartbeat intensify and then steady when he turned on the faucet. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm, I'm pretty sure he switched personalities, right? Well, he certainly... <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> certainly, it's, it, it's a scene that's about his sense of self-pressure and his sense of restraint. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, look, there's a reason why it's not, you know, why the show isn't called Davos. There's a reason why he's, you know, fifth build or so. No disrespect to the actor nor the character, just... You know, he's at the, the the supporting role that he is and the actor is, the character is, both, I suppose. And I don't know, it's just a really unique offering that we're getting from him. And I think, you know, in the hands of a lesser actor, it could simply be boring or simply be one note as opposed to a lot of tonalities from what is maybe written as one note. Well, let's talk about the Tigers then, Matt, uh, here calling this meeting with the Yang clan and whoever is outside, we don't even know if that's really a thing. They decide to act against Danny, Colleen and Mrs. Yang. Well, let's start with the best part, which is clearly somebody said, uh, season one didn't have enough of the martial arts. We need to have a martial arts quote on every episode. Um, in fact, Pete, I'll admit, I was I was up on this episode, as I mentioned at the top, nice uh, nice writing in terms of a lot of character stuff, uh, interesting direction. Um, it crossed my mind when Danny walked into that meeting with the with the mask over his face and the hood up. I was like, I know what that's for to hide the stunt double. Pete, I did not watch this episode on my phone. I watched it on my nice TV and my nice armchair. If there was a stunt double mixed in there, I could not see it. So this was a solid fight, period. This was for our enjoyment with our popcorn. I kind of sort of wonder why it is that, hey, three guys were talking, then two of them walked toward the building. We're under attack, Mrs. Yang. We need to go. <laughs> but if, look, if that's the excuse to get some awesome, sweet martial arts stuff, I'm okay with that. And then when we talk about Walker, Matt, we've, you know, teased and teased this to this point. We've seen her with the ponytail one other time. But here, the, the setup, the camera angle from behind, the white noise, and then the weaponry. So thankfully, episode four, um, bound to get some explanation, right? I would hope so, Pete. And I would like to rewrite and redirect a couple of scenes from the last two episodes. First of all, end of episode 202 or mid of episode 202, I would not have shown sweet Mary kind of being ponytail tough. I would have excised that completely. Maybe she'd go, I mean, like literally, you could just edit that out. Don't even change the script. Just edit, edit the change. Then I would have had more mentions in this episode of Walker, Walker, Walker to really kind of hammer home, hey, there's this person Maybe it's this guy, I don't know, like do kind of the pronoun game or, or the lack thereof. We got this from Walker. Walker is supposed to be one of the best. Like Walker should have been played up a little bit more Then at the end of the episode when they go to confront Walker. That should have been, I'm going to give Walker a piece of my mind. Enter. Then you get the ponytail. Camera turns around. Big reveal. Even though maybe we kind of sort of saw it 
Like, let me take that back. We only saw it coming because of the last episode. They could have held it for a full reveal in this episode, whether you knew the comic's background or not. I mean, that's almost kind of outside the bounds. They could have had a great ending, Pete. Instead, it was like, hey, she still is the two people that we thought she was. Matt, it's no secret I'm pursuing a, uh, a future in screenwriting. But the last couple episodes, I think we're getting you ready for your DGA card. <laughs> I just, you know, look, this is nowhere in the same minor league as the first season. And there's a lot to like about these first three episodes. But it's these little things. You know, I think back to the the story I had for for the last episode about when you say, ah, nobody's going to care about those details. Then little details become bigger details, good or bad, either way. And it just would have been a more fulfilling, fulfilling reveal if you didn't know, and if you did know, to be like, are they going to do Typhoid Mary? Are they going to do split personalities? Boom, they do. That would have been, I don't know, that would have been a better way. But oh well, Pete. So far, we're off to a good start. We're 30% through the season. We're off to a good start. Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete. Will we see Ward return to his Narcotics Anonymous meetings? Here he's already, you know, there's the the physical stuff with his sponsor. Then having ruined, in my mind, having ruined the meeting for the benefit of all that are there, all that are trying to improve themselves and put their demons behind them, to give them the patented double middle finger, how does he go back and do we start to descend into a Ward Meacham drug problem storyline? I I mean, it very well could be part of the arc. I mean, you're talking to somebody who's who's ahead of you on the watch so far, Matt. So I don't really want to answer definitively. Um, I think it's interesting they chose to, um, you know, give him a relationship with the sponsor and, and leader of this N.A. group. And uh, let's just say stacking chairs is a pretty pregnant metaphor. <laughs> um, perhaps not a, a metaphor, but certainly another jerk maneuver is to remind everybody how rich you are. And if, Hey, if you need money, I can just give you money. Look, here's my big stack of money. Pete, I'm realizing that this is an episode that's meant to improve our view of, uh, of about just every character, except for <laughs> word Meacham. Oh, uh, I mean, listen, when the, uh, the Cafe Bustelo uh, swear jar is making the rounds at the beginning of your N.A. meeting, Matt. Um, I mean, there's nowhere to go but down, right? <laughs> it certainly did make me wonder which show we were in for a moment. That was a nice <laughs> little that, that, that was a nice bit right there. Yeah. Uh, tapping back to Luke Cage, if you're unfamiliar as a listener. But Matt, choice chair and his ledger. What is going on there? I, you know, Pete, I'm so kind of like gun shy after the first season that there's sometimes I'm like, no, there's too many storylines going on. Keep it direct. But you know what? I like, I like, first of all, that there has been not just this information, uh, but, uh, but, but the cash sitting right in his chair there, right in the underside note to self. It'll be a great place to hide things in the future. Um, I like that we're digging into this character that we, that we haven't seen and also, it is giving 
Colleen something to do in this season. I don't want to sound down on her use. Um, she is pursuing her own goal, her own way of trying to protect the neighborhood. It must have been this discussion of you can't elevate her past the title role, but you want to give her stuff that's more than like, hey, Danny, welcome home. I made dinner. You know, I mean, that's that's the antithesis of where they want to be with this character and this show and Marvel TV, etc. Um, so I would expect that we stick around with that storyline in some fashion for much of the season. The photovoltaic solar cell patent, Matt, and the one scene that uh, Sophia uh, Rios turns up in there. What's going on with that? Oh, I'm sorry, Pete. I must have momentarily uh, fallen asleep because this particular storyline is a little snoozeworthy. Now, if it's if this is merely the joy storyline for now, or if we find out in two episodes, oh man, the solar panel tech that's to help power up the the ghost battery, which is connected to the weirdo bowl that Davos wants, you know. That's fine, but here's what I'm saying. Let's keep that storyline a moving. Um, if it's like the big reveal at Joy's arc this season is she's opening a clean energy company to rival uh, the the you know the um, scientific efforts of other people in New York, like the Starks and the other people, like. That will not suffice. So let's keep this story a move in until we get back to her connection with Davos and mystical things. Who told Joy about Ward? Initially, Pete, I was so hopeful. They're talking about she's supposed to be the best, the one that took the pictures. I was like, wait, Jessica Jones? Um, but obviously that's not the case with Walker and the pictures of Danny. That said, Pete, what does it cost you in the script to say that Joy has, you know, two private eyes and maybe maybe uh, off-screen Jessica Jones has been tailing Ward. That would be my hope. I think story-wise, it probably is more likely that it's Walker. But uh, you know me, Pete. I love me some Jessica Jones, so fingers crossed. The, uh, the timelines are a little far apart as far as uh, the production work is concerned, but you never know. How about Yang, Matt? still alive it's certainly when i saw mrs yang arrive i was saying to myself Here you know, it comes. Well, yeah like how they much are we gonna my get? husband yeah and, and the fact that we didn't get that you know it makes me wonder a how much does danny know probably not a whole lot how much does she know mrs wall mrs uh yang know relative to everything else um Certainly the pieces don't match up. So that's a good thing to watch for in the future, just in terms of, I mean, it certainly can't be swept under the rug. I would bet we're going to get some sort of scene where, oh, he's back at home and in, in the hospital bed, in the home being looked over on death's doorstep, that kind of thing. And she's just putting up the front for the sake of the business and for the sake of the, the, the hatchet triad, et cetera. And lastly, for me, Matt, who was outside at the parlay? I'm, I'm a little confused by that. I mean, it seems not to be uh, the hatchet triad folk. It seems not to be the Tigers. Um, look, we want these seasons to move faster and move with more of a sense of purpose. Does that mean that maybe there could be a third gang fighting for Chinatown? 
uh, okay. I mean, hopefully it's not uh, those young rascals who should be going to school instead. Um, cause as adorable as they are, I don't know. I'm not quite sure, Pete. Again, I, I, I feel a little, I just feel a little gun shy with all this where, where I'm, I'm not sure what I want this season to give me. I'm not always sure. Um, just, just for fear that it wobble too much. Pete, here's a theory to bounce off of you. Uh, something you and I discussed off mic. And I think now's the perfect time to bring the listeners into it. With this reduced episode order and not knowing how these contracts are worded, do you think it's possible that Danny Rand's appearance in season two of Luke Cage, did that help meet some sort of quote-unquote calendar year or production year minimum for Finn Jones to play the Iron Fist if they're doing this reduced episode order? And follow-up question, if we see other people showing up, does that portend shorter season episodes for them possibly it's an excellent theory i just don't know if they were that far out ahead when they filmed i mean he would he showed up in what episode 10 or 11 of luke cage that they were at that point like all right you guys only have 10 episodes as opposed to luke cage's 13 so guess what finn we need you back in new york for um two weeks uh from uh you know december to uh january to film this episode and and then you guys are going to film right after that i i just don't know um time is going to tell uh daredevil is slotted next we don't have an exact date we know that they will be at new york comic-con along with us uh, we're supposedly going to see the first episode, uh, should get some kind of confirmation as far as their season length then. But if it comes out, Matt, that they're all 10 episodes now, I mean, that's certainly a possibility. If Iron Fist is the redheaded rich stepchild that only gets 10, I think it's going to stand out like a sore thumb. Let's listen to some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun. Pete, we got a tweet from Bike BRH. That's at Bike BRH, uh, who says the following: After seeing episode one of Iron Fist season two, I hope that Davos isn't supposed to be the big bad. He comes off like a whiny, jealous brat that makes Kylo Ren seem like a mature adult. <laughs> if he's the best they can do, it's going to be a long, ugly season. Well, Pete, with the eyes, at least on this podcast, having discussed three episodes, is Davos the big bad for these three episodes? No. So that's nice to see. Now, would I rule out the possibility that we like, you know, would I rule out circling back to Davos before the end and he's the big episode nine, episode 10 showdown? Uh, I wouldn't rule that out and I wouldn't necessarily dislike it. I feel like we have so many, so many, you know, pots cooking right now between mary and davos and joy and ward and you know we still have misty knight to yet yet to show up etc etc pete this feels like an overstuffed season but not overstuffed in a bad way overstuffed in a in, in a comfy way i think they're playing davos a particular way to bring about that uh childish mentality oh poor me i didn't get what i wanted my father spared my life 
<laughs> so, Pete, if people have unresolved feelings about Davos or maybe their own father who made them fight for the title of Iron Fist, <laughs> how can people be in touch with you? You can find this Twitter, Iron Fist, at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,969 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word, with the PH, like it today. And, and just an appeal, uh, we, we've stalled a little bit on Facebook as far as likes. So if you're on there, uh, throw us a thumb, would you? Boom, absolutely. Well, Pete, here it is, middle of the week. Before you know it, it's going to be Friday. We will be back talking more Iron Fist, both on the Iron Fist podcast feed and the Pop Culture podcast feed. We have some other goodies coming up pretty soon for the Pop Culture podcast feed as well. But we'll talk about that more over the weekend. So with that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Dinner's never just dinner.